How much have you actually practiced something in your life to the point where you became really good at it? But then you also have to ask yourself, how many times did you try something and then walked away from it without giving it your full effort? I'm sure we've all done a little bit of both of those things. And I'm sure you'll think when you gave the effort towards something, you worked really hard at it, it's gratifying when you accomplish something. Today on Dr. D's social network is Michael Brown, who's just an awesome dude, who joined the circus when he was a youth and then ended up becoming a winemaker. He worked really hard. He gave a lot of effort and he's doing amazing things. You're going to love the conversation that I had with Michael Brown. Dokie here back in the network with Michael Brown. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Darian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's your story. Um, again, I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds pretty incredible. Um, and off air, we were talking about you grew up in Washington. So tell me a little bit about growing up and what led to the whole joining the circus. Well, I was actually born in Oakland, California, and then my dad got a job up in uh, Wenatchee, Washington, at a tree fruit research center. He worked for Washington State University as an entomologist studying mites on tree fruit. And in our hometown, at that point, it was 60,000 people or so, and there was a youth circus in town. And I tried sports. I tried football, baseball, basketball, soccer, you name it. I could never quite get it. And then one of my good buddies, when I was in seventh grade, I was 12 years old, said, join the circus. And I go, well, I don't know how to do anything like that. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's just fun. Just join. Yeah. And you you move mats around um, during the show. And and then we just have a good time. And I said, okay. And I did that. And I was very intimidated, very intimidated. Because you see these people flying on the trapeze and walking on the high wire and eating fire and like, wow, I don't think I could ever do that. Well, I started practicing and I got on my first act uh, the second year, which was unicycles. And then the next, I said, well, I did that. Yeah. I want to eat, I want to eat fire. Whoa. <laughs> so I, t- I, I talked to the fire eaters and they go, well, here's how you do it. It's not too complicated. So I got on that act. And I said, well, I'll never be on the high wire. That's like just way too much for me to handle. Well, a year later, I was on the high wire. And they said, Michael, do you want to be on the bullwhip team where you crack things out of people's mouths with a bullwhip? Oh. And I said, I said, I said yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I-, I hope I don't take some girl's nose off, you know. And then uh, a few other acts. And then 
my last couple of years, uh, they said, do you want to be the catcher on the flying trapeze? And I said, yes, please. And that scared the heck out of me. Um, but I did it. And uh, it taught me a lot about life. It taught me a lot about practice, hard work, dedication, failure, risk, reward, and also some showmanship. Hmm. And then when I uh, got into the wine business, I didn't know anything, kind of like when I started the circus. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to give this a go. And, you know, 10 years hard time. And uh, and the thing worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it worked out, yeah. <laughs> what about the circus? Like, you know, did you have any kind of, did you go to the circus before you joined it ever? Or like watch it as a spectator before? Yeah, when we were little kids, we'd go there every time we'd have home shows. Home show is a show that um, they would do in our home town. And it would travel around different fairs and things. And it was very wholesome. Parents would mm-hmm. go. and The leader of the circus was our principal of our junior high. And it was a really kind of a nice thing. Um, but home shows, when I was a little kid, we'd go there and I was just mesmerized by what they were doing. And um, I'm like, wow, that is really neat. Uh, but I don't know how they do it. And I could never do that. Well, it turns out I could. Yeah. You know? Wow, that's so, amazing. Now, when you got into the circus, what about it was surprising to you based off of your perspective of just being a spectator before? What surprised me was if you practice really hard, you could accomplish your goals. And I was always kind of a you know shy kid. I didn't want to expose uh, my weaknesses. And I was out there one day on the trapeze by myself in the practice area because I didn't want to fall on my face in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. And to fly off the trapeze, turn around in midair, come back and land on this little pedestal was really challenging. And I went for it and I hit the net, went for it, hit the net, went for it, hit the net. And I finally, this is one of, uh, this is a big deal for me. It's a bit, it sounds like a small thing, but. I finally got it and it kind of like shook me a bit like, wow, I did that. Hmm. And it was, uh, it was kind of the start of saying, you know what? Just keep going for it. Keep going for it. Be safe. (laughs) You don't want to fall off the end of this thing. But uh, that was, and I was totally by myself, nobody else around. And I, I got it done, you know? And wow. if I would have fallen off and hit the ground, it probably wouldn't have been the best story. But uh, <laughs> Probably not. But that taught me a lot about, again, the practice and the hard work. And, and I could fail at this. I could certainly fail. But I'm going to go for it. And, um, and that one moment, I thought it was a very pivotal moment for me. And I thought, wow, practice works, you know. And you just keep going. You keep working at it. And uh, so that was a big deal. So had you learned otherwise in your life or you hadn't really had committed like that before to something and realized that practice worked? No, that was the first time. Yep. Wow. And how old were you? 
I, at that point, I was probably 14. 14? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was a youth circus, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, but before then, you know, I failed at all these other sports and I was a shy kid and um, socially awkward and all those sorts of things, you know? And, uh, but that really gave me a good lesson. And I carry that through today, right? And I'm still, you know, you, you got to keep practicing no matter what you do. You got to keep practicing and be humble. Humility is a huge deal for me. And, you know, I, I was on your website, um, Darian, mm -hmm. and it says, uh, now this is really cool. Um, now, under Epic Leisure Management LLC, we are redefining wellness and the future of amenity-based lifestyle programming. People first. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Yeah. Is core to our operation, operate, operating model. And by bringing together exceptional leaders supported by an ecosystem of relevant technologies and management fundamentals, we are leading the way in wellness for today and tomorrow. And I read that, Darian, and I and wellness is such a powerful word. Yes. And I didn't have wellness before I got into the circus. I, you know, my my parents got divorced, and you know, again, I was a shy kid. And my dad's a great guy. My mom is the smartest person I've ever known, and you know, but um, I was kind of lost, and I didn't have wellness. Yeah. And that's something I work on every single day, and. And it depends on what the what the topic is, you know, whether it's family, being a father, being a good husband, uh, being a business owner, um, trying to be a craftsman, all those different things. Well, wellness is uh, the core fundamental of that, in my opinion. And I really enjoyed that uh, that paragraph on your website. Awesome. Yeah, it was. Really I remember cool. writing that with my business partner and. Uh... Because we had we had been in a really really huge um, company like thirty three countries it was in, and we broke off to start our own thing. And our biggest thing was like we really need to focus on people, people first. That's always been our approach: love people, care about them, have accountability. But <laughs> it starts with human beings, and and really focusing on that primarily. I mean, obviously the technology and all this stuff is great, the bells and whistles, but it really means nothing without the focus on the people aspect of it. That is so true. And um, one thing I chime in on all the time, people ask me, why do you do what you do? I said, well, first, I love, love being a craftsman. I, I watched my dad when I was growing up. He's a great craftsman. He's still alive, doing some wonderful stuff. But I wanted to be a craftsman, but I also wanted to be a businessman right? American dream stuff. And it's alive and well. Anybody can do it, right? If you, if you work your tail off. But what I, what I tell people, or what I try to explain, I should say, is that, you know, it's nice to build a fire. And then you can have some good food, perhaps. You can have good music, hopefully. You might have a bottle of wine, if it works. But all those things, it could be just one of them. It could be none of them. Um, but when you're around people, those things can lead to good conversation. 
And there's no agenda. It's like conversation can lead anywhere. Yeah. But you're in contact with other human beings. And that's primal to our DNA that goes way back. Yes. And to me, that's a, that's like a fundamental, it's of fundamental importance. And when you can sit down and you're relaxing and you just start talking about whatever subject it might be, and it doesn't matter what it is. That is powerful and magical in my experience. And that's what I seek, you know, everything else I do. And besides my family, because that's the most important, but, um, with other people, it's just, let's just have a cool chat. Right. Yeah. Most definitely. I have had so many conversations with this podcast and we're up to like 250 plus and then all the times I just chat with people randomly or have phone calls. And I feel that's a big part of the secret of life is just helping other people, chatting with other people with without any real agenda or, you know, just, hey, let's just talk. And something amazing always comes from it. Like I'm speaking to you and I'm learning about your journey. That is going to heavily impact my existence on some level. I don't know. Somehow. Meeting Michael Brown is going to do something and it's going to educate me and I'm going to learn. I'm constantly in search of that. I want to learn from other people and I want to help other people for that. Me too. And, and what you just said, help other people. Now that is a major thing and you can't go out there and save the world. Of course. But if, if somebody says, I need a little help, or if you say, do you need some help? Um, and I'll do the best I can, the best I can to help you. And then that leads into so many beautiful, magical, wonderful things. It's amazing how that works. And you mentioned about people, you know, I'm part of a horse group up here in Sonoma County. and It's like 280 guys and a bunch of old guys. And we'll go around the camp on this, these horse rides and things. I'll seek out the oldest guys I can find, you know, <laughs> I'll just scout it out and then I'll sit down and, and just strike up some random conversation and they're the sages, you know, they're the wise men. Yep. And I learn something every time because they've been around, they have been around and I'm still, I'm 52, but I'm still a young whippersnapper, you know, mentally, so to speak. Uh, but uh, no, the, the human interaction is powerful. And another thing about that, which just struck my mind, is one other thing that I'm a big, big fan of is Mother Nature. Mm. And you get out there in Mother Nature and you see things growing, you see birds flying, flowers coming out. We have no control over that. No. We can impact it in a negative or positive way. But... Um, just being out there and um, feeling Mother Nature. And humans are part of Mother Nature. You know, we're not aside from it. We're animals, you know. And so that that's a that's a big part. And through wine, I've been able to really uh, get absorbed into that aspect because we're growing stuff. We're out there. We're uh, trying to nurture these vines, but they're going to do what they want to do, you know. We can just be there to maybe guide them um, in a certain way. But Mother Nature in a given season 
or a vintage, however you want to say it. She's going to do what she's going to do. You could have a best vintage in the world. And then all of a sudden it's going to rain for a month. <laughs> right. You right. know what I mean? But that's a be- that's the beauty of it. That's the cool part about it, uh, in my opinion, because um, it's the unknown. And then you just keep going for it, right? You just keep, and you got to kind of ride it. And I'm not a surfer, but I'm going to use a surf analogy. When you're on a wave, I mean, that wave's got control. You don't have yeah. control of that wave. You just got to stay on your board, man. <laughs> and if yeah. you wipe out, hopefully you don't hit a rock. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's so true. You know, speaking of the the winemaking, what was that transition like? I want to understand like that transition from the circus to winemaking or or was there something in between that? You know? There was definitely something in between. Um, when I was 13, I got my first job at a Chinese restaurant because I was kind of tired of making five bucks a week in allowance mowing our own lawns. Yeah. And I'm in Woodshop at junior high. My my buddy goes, hey, go get a job at this place. You'll make $3.35 an hour washing dishes. And I go, $3.35 an hour? I'm making $5 a week. <laughs> I'm in, man. Yeah. And so I show up and the owner says, hey, do you got your social security number? I said, well, it's coming. He goes, all right, get in the dish pit. You know, I still love to wash dishes, you know. My wife doesn't know that, but I uh, still do. <laughs> we won't tell her. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, and then he goes, we're going to promote you to onion cutter. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got my first promotion and I'm sitting there cutting onions in a Chinese restaurant, just crying, you know, <laughs> and these guys in the kitchen were just laughing at me. And I look at them and I'm like, I'm laughing at you all the way to the bank, man. <laughs> So anyway, and then I got a job at the finest place in Wenatchee. It used to be called the Thunderbird. Now it's the Red Lion. And and uh, my manager said, lion application, you're only 16, but I want you to be a captain, um, which it means you do flambés. I go, okay. Mm-hmm. And I took his leadership. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm 16, making steak Diane and Cherry's Jubilee and things like that. And then I moved to Santa Rosa and I got a job doing a similar thing at a, at a restaurant called Equus. Then I got a job at a at a restaurant called John Ash and Company. I moved back to Seattle, worked at this wonderful place called Lamprea. This guy, Scott Carlsberg, wonderful chef. Anyway, um, I decided to move back, but I learned about, uh, I wanted to be a craftsman and then again, hospitality and all these things. But I really wanted to be a craftsman. I moved, moved to... Uh, Santa Rosa or back to Santa Rosa. And we'd go on what I call a cannibal run on Mondays. We'd go tasting rooms. And I was intrigued by the agriculture because I grew up, Wenatchee is a tree fruit area. So I grew Mm -hmm. up in apple trees and cherry trees, but the grapes were a different level of agriculture and finesse. And uh, then I'd go to a winery and there was a little production facility. And I go, wow, they're making something here. And then I'd go into these barrel rooms and it was like the angels were singing because barrels are alive, right? They're not just sitting there doing nothing like a, like a bolt or something. Yeah. The barrels are alive and they're singing. I go, wow, I'm in a room full of angels right now. Okay. I want to be part of this, but I can't do it. Cause I got to go to college. I'm a, ter- I'm a terrible student. And finally I just said, you know what? I'm going for it. 
I'm going to go volunteer at a winery and see where it leads me. And uh, I did that. And I had three jobs at the time. We had our first child. He's now 19 years old or almost 20. And uh, so I had to work at the restaurants at night. I uh, had a day job making wine and we started Costa Brown. And it was all at the same time. And it was pretty rough. Um, and if you want to hear the rhino story, I'll tell it later. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, that's how I got into it. But I said, you know what? I, I just really want to make wine and build a business. The two main things, right? And be a good father and husband and all that wow. good stuff yeah. too. Um, yeah. But uh, that's kind of how it all started. And, and over time... It started to work and then it started to work way too well. It was like a tiger by oh. the tail, <laughs> you know, it was a tiger by the tail and wow. And the thing, the thing blew up and, uh, and now we have our own winery cause we since sold Costa Brown. Okay. But now we have our own winery and, um, we're doing it all over again, but it now it's just my, it's our family's winery and, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of it, but I'm just now more free, you know? Oh, I see. I see. It's and part of well it's part of wellness. Yeah. Oh man, wellness is so broad. There's so much to it. I think sometimes people think about it too much in the physical sense, which is ab absolutely a part of wellness that is physical, but it's a whole wheel of a variety of emotions and the social nature of humans, occupation, environmental aspects, spirituality. It's, it's really all encompassing of what it means to be a person. You know? Absolutely. And spirituality is huge and it, it, it can be elusive, um, but it's there. It's out there. That's why I, I'm attracted to mother nature, you know. Explain that. Like your statement, you said it can be elusive. I'd love to learn more about uh, that statement. Well, the way my brain works is, um, you know, I'm very task oriented, right? Mm -hmm. And I've got to get my job done. I've got to get these things accomplished. I have to do this, do that. And it, it, it kind of takes out time for really reflecting and being spiritual. And so I'm a meditator now, and that helps me a lot. Meditation's huge, awesome. you know, and I love that. And there's so many different types, of, as you know. Yeah. So many different types of meditation. <laughs> so that kind of keeps me centered and grounded and to try to get closer to spirituality. Because in my opinion, if you have sound spirituality, which is, again, elusive because you got to kind of search for it and work on it. You got to work on it. It's just not going to happen. Most definitely. Um, but if you if you work at it and you're dedicated to a certain extent – because we still have all our daily tasks and all these things going on. But um, when you get those glimpses and those real, it's like, wow, that makes sense. And uh, within the spirituality realm, okay, I feel better now and, and it's good. And I like that. And I have a deeper understanding of myself. And that's the first thing. And then of what's going on around me. And if I can understand myself better through spirituality, then I'm more accessible to other people in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does make sense. The elusive part, I think, fascinated me because I was I was like, okay, what does that mean from his perspective? And it, it makes a lot of sense. I think today's lifestyle sometimes makes it more elusive for a lot of people or distracted by so many things. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially these days. I mean, we came in, uh, typically our uh, our business cycle, we're getting ready to bottle our wines for the 19th vintage here in about, I don't know, two weeks. And then then we kind of rest for three months. We get stuff done. We're still working, but we don't, it's not this big pressure point. But this last year, 2020, we got out of bottling and then COVID strikes. Like right. what? And then you have civil unrest. Oh my gosh. And then you have political unrest. What's going on here? And then we had fires, which took out 85% of our crop because of mm. smoke damage. And all these different things happened. And I'm like, what is going on here? And that's um, during those moments of, it's not really crisis. I mean, it could be for some people, but it's more like, man, I could either twist out or the, or I could um, ground myself with spiritual practices, with meditation, with um, good human interaction. And this is just the way I look at it. You know what I mean? Everybody yeah. looks at it differently. Yeah. But, um, and then uh, engagement. Engagement is a big deal. And uh, I don't know, man, but this last year was, <laughs> good Lord, let's get that over with. Yeah. <laughs> let's roll through it, right? Yeah. I feel hopefully it's getting better. I mean, I, w- I would, at some point, you know, here, um, I do think there's, you talk a lot about mother nature and, and that, that hits a chord with me because I'm very sensitive to that. And it's honestly one of the reasons why I moved to Washington from Las Vegas a few years ago is, uh, I wanted like this type of nature a little bit more and be near the water. And I think it's, mm. it's, it's like different when you're next to a body of water. There's something about that that is so massive and makes you feel so small and out of control. Like, like you don't have control. You know, when you see this water and you see a whale or you see sea otters, you're like, this is crazy, you know? It's wonderful. Wonderful. At some point, you need to go to Lake Wenatchee. It's up in the Cascades. Yeah. Gorgeous place. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I do have to check that out. I mean, it's it's just a wonderland of nature. And I never thought about nature and winemaking the way you explained it. See, that's something like I never would have thought about because... I just drink it. <laughs> you know, I don't know about all the uh, aspects of it. Do you feel like making wine grew you closer to nature? That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, there is no doubt. I mean, you get insects and butterflies and birds and everything and all, all the microorganisms in the soil. And it's just, and the plants that grow out of it and that nurture the vines and it's a whole ecosystem, micro ecosystem, you know, but um, it's such a cool, cool thing, man. And what you mentioned about like the sea otters and the whales, they're just doing their thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so, yeah, so absolutely. Um, as I grew closer to agriculture, it opened my eyes uh, more so to uh, the the magic and the beauty of Mother Nature. It's just a cool thing, you know? And again, you mentioned the water. And I grew up next to the water all the time, rivers and yeah. lakes and things like that, and watching the trout. And, and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing, you know? It is. It's truly inspiring. And I think that I could see why 
you know, in the past for people, you know, maybe you'd go to the mountains or you go to the water for creativity and inspiration um, to just be still and to be quiet. And, mm. and your brain starts populating all these ideas and you, you just open things up. And I think there's just not enough of that. We're not experiencing enough of that. But I think some people are. I've known so many people through this podcast who have moved from where they live and have wanted more nature because of the pandemic. It's been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, yeah. So we just do what we can do. And, uh, like, like, like you said, we can, uh, we can get caught up in everyday life and all these different things. But when you open your eyes and you can actually calm down and clear the brain the best you can, it's not, it's not always easy. It doesn't always work. No. When you get to that point where you're like, okay, I can breathe. I can kind of just be calm. Just be calm. And um, it, again, like I said, it takes practice, but the practice is so worth it. So worth it. Most definitely. Now, with the winemaking, is there, do you specifically make like more like reds or whites? Or I would love to hear the breakdown of that. So I'm a Pinot Noir winemaker. Okay. That's what I do. And uh, we make a little Chardonnay. And they're both very different in farming and fermentation. But we're a, we're a Pinot Noir winery. And we've been that way for 24 years, you know. And it's just um, something that resonates with me. And this one time I'm talking to this one politician <laughs> Cool guy. Uh, but one of my partners said, hey, meet Michael. He makes Pinot Noir. And this guy says, uh, I like Cabernet. Mm -hmm. And I like Cabernet. I mean, nothing wrong with it at all. But I said, well, Cabernet to me is playing poker with my buddies, right? It's burly. It's big, you know. Mm -hmm. It's very intense. Um, but Pinot Noir is dancing with my wife. And I said, I would rather do that, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's got a lot of finesse and there's a lot of grace um, and very temperamental and, um, and, but a lot, a lot of nuance and a lot of um, another elusiveness, you know, it can be mm. elusive, you know, and very hard to farm. But um and people ask me, why did you start with Pinot? They say, that's the heartbreak grape. That's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And I said, well, why not start with the hardest thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why not just go for it? And it turns out, in my opinion, it's not the hardest thing. It's just different, you know. Mm. It's a different way of looking at it. It's um, It takes different a different skill set. Um, but it's not too different than any other winemaking. It's just different, you know, uh, but I just, for some reason, it just hit my heart, you know, and I go, man, I love this. This is really cool. And wow. that's why we got into Pinot Noir and, and I, I ain't going back, man. Right. <laughs> He's not but going back. Eventually this I want to, I want to make a Washington state Bordeaux blend oh. just because it's the home state and uh, it's something just completely different, you know? So we'll see when that happens. But, um, you know, I like to explore. I like to do different things. 
when I feel myself resting, it's like, okay, I got to get back up and start exercising again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, this is more of a mental exercise, but it's, um, hmm, how am I going to do this? What's going to be the thing? And it might work, it might not, but that's okay, you know? Um, so anyway, that's just a different thing. But uh, Pinot Noir, as far as the wine goes, Pinot Noir is my love. Mm. It's my love, you know? Yeah. And she uh, she can dance like nobody else. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think about when you said, well, when other people said, well, that's the hardest. Were you kind of influenced by your time in the circus and accomplishing hard things and saying, well, I've done hard things, so I can just do this too, you know? Absolutely. Yep. And then also the failure part, right? Yeah. And uh, the risk. There was one time, a quick story. We were at a home show in my hometown. And that show, um, I don't know if you remember it, but it was called That's Incredible. Hmm. And it was back in the 80s. And it was about okay. a show about people doing things that people think are incredible or whatever. Yeah. So we did the show. And at that point, I wasn't on the high wire yet or the trapeze, but I was on the fire rack. And I go, okay, guys, we're, we do this thing where you eat fire, people juggle fire, all this fire stuff. And the finale was uh, of this act was a human volcano where you put Coleman fuel in your mouth and you blow it on a torch and you can feel the heat in the audience, mm -hmm. right? You can feel it. And uh, I said, okay, guys, we're going to double up on the fuel. <laughs> Whoa. And we're going to really blow this thing out because there's, there's scaffolding up and there's cameras and all these things. I go, we're going to get on this show because we're going to blow this thing out. And we're in the baseball stadium at Wenatchee High School, and the place was packed, and and uh, it was gusty winds, you know. And you don't want to blow fire into the wind; just not a good idea. So we finally get a wind to our back, so it would blow away from us. Right when we did it, the wind changed, and my whole face caught on fire. <laughs> Whoa! And somebody threw me down and put my face out. And my dad looks at me, he goes, we're going to the ER. <laughs> yeah. And I'm in a, I'm in a fire costume, man, big flame down the front and sequins of flames and all these things. And my face is like peeling skin off. I'm like, Oh God. And, <laughs> and so I get there and, and uh, we go through the whole procedure of fixing my face and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, it, it healed up fine. But um, uh, what? It but the next year, I said I'm back on it, and we we kept doing it, and so that's that's part of it too. And you can translate that into any anything anybody's doing. If you fall off a horse, what do you do? You get back on it. Mm -hmm. And I've had those experiences too, where I've I've fallen off horses, and the guy said, "Get back on it." No, I don't want to. Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but then, you know, you, you do it and you learn something. So I think to answer your question, yeah, during the circus, um, and there's, I have plenty more stories that we don't have time to get into, but I've had other things happen and you get back on it and you do it again. And you try to be as safe as you possibly can. And you, you risk it, you know, you go, okay, I learned something there. And that's a big word, learn. Yeah. Right? 
throughout life we learn things. If we open our ears and our eyes and we shut our mouths, we can learn something. And um, we don't have to necessarily shut our mouths, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But um, that's one thing that really kind of prepped me for getting into the next phase of my life, right? Yeah. Um, was just failing at stuff, you know, failing at stuff and then not giving up. It's amazing. You know, I mean, it's such a great lesson. You've learned all these great lessons through these different adventures in your life. And you mentioned about being a craftsman. I wanted to go back to that and kind of get a definition of what that means for you, because like I hear that it may mean something else or maybe it means something else to someone else. How do you see that? Well, from my perspective, as I mentioned, my father is a craftsman and um, in our, in our home in Wenatchee, we had a basement and he would make all these wonderful things. He would uh, craft wood. He would redo guns. He would, you know, make metal work. And I go, well, how does he do that? Well, he's a craftsman and he practices at it. And to this day, I'm sure he's in a shop right now doing something cool. Right. And because uh, he's got a cool shop right now and he's always doing something. And like the other day, I went up there and he goes, check out my new knife. He took a knife blade that was made out of a uh, saw blade and just made a beautiful knife out of it. I go, how did you wow. do that? And the thing's gorgeous because he's a, he's a perfectionist. And so anyway, I, I grew up watching him do these things, and I was just turned on by it. And then I would take for old furniture, and I would refinish it, and I would try to do the best with my staining and all that kind of stuff. Because I just love being in the shop. You know, I love doing that. And by the way, I call our winery our shop because that's kind of what it is, you know? Yeah. And um, uh, just being of a creative mind, I, I want to create things. I want to I work on stuff. I want to be a craftsman. Yeah. And, you know, my, my main thing I've been wanting to do for like 20 years is be a luthier, you know? What's that? It's a instrument maker, like guitars, oh. violins, things okay. like that. And uh, I still haven't gotten there because that takes a lot of practice. And you got to have a mentor and a teacher and you got to really dedicate time to that because <clears throat> I want to, you know, hand tools, things like that. But I was talking to this guy, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, he was out and this he shows up with a buddy of mine and he's wearing sweatpants and a skateboard hat and stuff like that. But he's probably 45 years old. And I was telling him the same story. He goes, oh, dude, I make ukule ukuleles, but like a banjo. And I'm like, hmm. what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, no, I make ukuleles that I'll put like a tin can inside. And then it's it's a drum inside the ukulele. That's what a banjo basically is. It's like a guitar drum, you know. Hmm. And he showed me pictures of these things and he goes, I'll do like 20 layers of laminate and I'll do, I make two at a time and that's it. And he showed me these pictures and then I saw some videos of his stuff and I'm like, you have to be kidding me. The guy's a master craftsman. And I'm like, wow. And so all these different things, you know, of inspiration and you, you look at other people and you're going, wow, this guy did that. I want to do more of that. 
you know, whatever it may be, whether it's, um, I want to be a better chef, you know, I want to be a better musician. I want to be a better attorney. I want to be a better brain surgeon. I want to be a better, whatever the heck it may be. I want to be a better postal worker. I want to be a better, you name it, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's just, uh, you, you keep working on it, you know? And then you gain inspiration, at least I do, from other people. And you go, wow, tell me your story. And this goes back to earlier in our conversation about conversation. Yeah. Wow. Tell me a little more about that. That's interesting. <laughs> How do you do that? And uh, I love those things, man. It's so cool uh, to hear other people's stories. Yes. And to hear what they have done. And to hear their hardships and to hear their successes. And uh, it's very inspiring, you know, both sides of the story. Yeah. Oh, wow. You you went through some hard times. Man, that was rough. And I've heard some stories, man. And there's some tough stuff out there. And then, but I got out of it and I did this. It's like, wow, now that's cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I feel like, you know, some theme is, you know, of this is, you know, practice, continuing to work through success and failure and then learning from, from others and helping others in whatever way you're able to and connection. That's what I hear and kind of summarizing a lot of this. And it sounds like you're a person whose whole life has been dedicated to that on some level, you know? Yeah. And, and again, you mentioned, we, we talked about this earlier, but you mentioned helping others and, and sometimes people will be down and you reach your hand up and say, I need a helping hand. You know, I just need a helping hand. Yeah. And other times you're in the complete opposite where somebody reaches their hand up and says, I need a helping hand. And you pull them up, you do the best you can to help somebody else out. And that opens up so many good things, man, right? Because on on the first side, you're vulnerable. You say, I need help. On the other side, it's like, I will help you. And uh, that's some good stuff, man, right? It is. It really is. And I think it's been highlighted, especially this past year, you know, 10 months to a year is, you know, we all need help in some way, you know, and and that the connection between humans is so innately strong in us and, and that we need more of it. And I actually think we're going to see a lot more connection with people. Sometimes the value of connection is highlighted through tragedy sometimes and many times in life. Um, and I, I want to be sensitive to that. But it's strange the things you learn through difficult times sometimes. And you're like, I don't want these times but a lot of times these times bring you back to what is very meaningful for you in your life and what it is about for you. you know? I, I believe so. Yes. Well put. Yep. So, uh, Michael, I, listen, you seem like a great guy. And uh, I, want, I need to get some of this wine, by the way. I need to know where I can buy it. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> I like wine quite a bit. And I'm like, oh, I can think I got to get some of this wine. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll get you a pack set out, and then uh, I'll have Sylvie get you on the list. You know. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, it's but, it's but been one a pleasure. Thing, uh, 
But one thing, uh, my book, Pinot Rocks, and I'm not trying to plug it. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. A, a lot of these stories are in that book. But the, the most fun part is, uh, is that uh, the book company said, you got to get an audio book. Yeah. And she says, uh, we've got like seven narrators. And I thought I was going to read the thing. But I'm like, right. how am I going to do that? She <laughs> goes, no, we're going to get a professional narrator. You just pick your flavor, right? And I went home that night. And then midnight, I'm, I'm up thinking about it. And I go, well, there's only two people. Morgan Freeman or William Shatner. <laughs> and I got a loose connection with Morgan Freeman. Very uh -huh. loose. It would have taken some time. But I got a pretty tight connection with a guy that is good friends with William Shatner. So I called him and I said, do you think he'd want to narrate this book? Yeah. Because you got to you got to throw it out there, right? Yeah, of course. And he goes, I don't know, send me the manuscript and I'll give him a call. And a week later, I'm on the phone with Captain Kirk. <laughs> and he goes, Michael, I like the manuscript. He goes, but it has a, you know how he talks, you know? Yeah. He goes, uh, but it, your, your book has a lower tone to it. So I'm going to lower my tone. <laughs> and I said, whatever you need to do, Mr. Shatner. And so the next day he's in the studio for like seven hours or something. Wow. It gets down to like three and a half hours once it was scrubbed out, uh, but he nailed it. <laughs> he got it's on Audible. He got it's like fifteen bucks. It's not a big ticket. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not looking to make any money off it. It's just I don't know how to send it to people, you know. But um, he nailed it, and it was like wow. And then I told I told his assistant, I said, "Oh man, I used to grow up with my dad watching the old Star Trek." Yeah. And then she goes. Okay, Michael, um, he just signed a photograph for your dad. It's coming up in a week. And oh. I, go, I go, cool. So I get this photograph, and it's of him in his golden sh shirt, you know, or yellow shirt when he was Captain Kirk. And it was like two Bob from William Shatner's. And I had it nicely frayed for my dad because oh. my dad's a uh, science fiction nut, you know. Same as my dad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, here you go, dad. He was like, what the heck? And so it was a really nice gesture, you know, first of all, for him to uh, narrate the book. And secondly, he just thought that my dad needed a photo of him, you know? Wow. That's pretty cool stuff. I mean, imagine talking to William Shatner and he's like, Michael, I will read your book. <laughs> no. It was kind of like that, man. Yeah, that's how he talks, man. <laughs> that's how he talks. But you got you, you got to get it and listen to it, man. It's that's uh, amazing. He, again, he nailed it. So, and he got a bunch of different stories in there. So, anyway. wow, William Shatner reads Pino Rocks. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Who would have thunk it? Who thunk it man. Wow, Michael. I mean, you're full of information and funny stories and. You just, you seem like you got a good heart, man. Just a good heart. And I love talking to people like you. It just, it makes me feel good. So thank you well, for adding to that. my life. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate having me on and um, we'll get, we'll get a box out to you up there in Washington oh, state. And you. then uh, again, I'll have Sylvie contact you with, uh, with some information. And then yeah. uh, if you ever need anything and, and also, by the way, uh, we're redoing our big guest house at the winery. It should be done by summer. 
Oh. And we don't charge for it. Um, we just, and we're not going to have a lot of people out. Yeah. But when it's done, if you're down in this area, the place is yours, man. Wow. I'm going to have to take you up on that for sure. Wow. Thank you for your generosity, your kindness. This is coming out next week, February 1st. We're dropping it. Right on, man. Looking forward to doing that and just putting it out there to the world and and just people hearing a good conversation. That's really what it's about. Totally. All right, brother. You got it, man. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.